0: Dunkerpunks, here's a question for you. If you claim the Church of the Brethren as your church home, why? What is it about the Brethren way of following Jesus that appeals to you? Why are you Brethren and not Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or Presbyterian? Think about it.
1: I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular. Don't want to be selfish, no don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. I don't want to be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, I don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgement, don't want to hold grudges. I don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't wanna burn petrol, don't wanna eat perfect fruit, don't wanna feel guilty, I just wanna be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I wanna be authentic, I wanna be radical, I wanna be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I wanna be humble, I wanna be progressive. I want to be open, my like inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Hannah mouse I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk the or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. want
0: to be me in a sunday school classroom at my church building we have this huge poster board chart it's like a flow chart or a family tree it's got all these lines and little boxes and at the top it's titled schwarzenau brethren Have you heard that term before? The Schwarzenegger Brethren are the ancestors of the Church of the Brethren, the original group from that baptism that we have heard about so many times in Germany in 1708. Now, this poster board is huge. There are tons of entries on it. Groups that have, over the last 300-plus years, split off from one another to become their own church or denomination. Maybe you know folks, maybe you are folks, who identify as Grace Brethren, or Old German Baptist Brethren, or maybe, this might be the most confusing one, Brethren, because the Brethren Church is a totally different denomination than the Church of the Brethren. Try explaining that to somebody who's never heard of any of us. We're not alone. The World Christian Encyclopedia categorizes over 33,000 distinct Christian groups in 238 countries. What's up with that? Nolan McBride has been on a journey of crossing denominational boundaries over the last few years. And in this episode, he brings us a conversation with Bishop Doug, an Episcopal bishop. As you listen, be on the lookout for similarities and differences between Bishop Doug's explanations of Anglicanism and the way you experience church. Here's Nolan with Bishop Doug.
2: Hi, this is Nolan McBride, and I've got a guest here today. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my name
3: is Doug Sparks, and I serve as the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Northern Indiana.
2: I imagine that most of the people listening are probably not from a liturgical traditions. So um, I was wondering if you could ex- uh, talk a little, explain about what exactly it means to be a bishop and what your role in the diocese and the Episcopal church is. Sure.
3: So uh, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to sort of share uh, this with folks who may be interested in learning more about um the Episcopal branch of the Jesus Movement, as uh, our Presiding Bishop Michael Curry often refers to it as, um, I was uh, I was elected to serve as the Bishop of the Diocese of Northern Indiana in February, February sixth of twenty sixteen, and in in the Episcopal Church's tradition, uh, there are three ordained ministries. Uh, uh, persons are ordained to the diaconate. Uh, persons are ordained to the priesthood or as presbyters in the Episcopal church. And then persons are ordained uh, to the order of Bishop. And uh, each of those particular orders have particular charisms and responsibilities uh, that have really uh, come, come through the tradition uh, of the church for, you know, now more than uh, more than 2000, Mm -hmm. 2000 years from uh, Bible times to the present. Uh, And, a, a bishop's role is to exercise a ministry of oversight for uh, a, a, a group of of congregations entrusted to her or his care. Uh, it, in most instances, uh, it's a geographical area that you're entrusted to care for uh, the uh, the Diocese of Northern Indiana. uh was established in 1899, the state of Indiana split into two dioceses, the Diocese of Indiana and the Diocese of Michigan City. Uh, And the the bishop at that point in time was given the option to become bishop of the new diocese or to continue in the Diocese of Indiana. And Bishop John Hazen White decided to become the bishop of the new diocese, which was then named um, the Diocese of Michigan City. Uh, in the Episcopal Church's tradition, uh, uh, the the bishop's role, as I said, is to engage in uh, a responsibility of oversight. Uh, it's also the bishop's role. Uh, upon ordination, the bishop makes commitments and promises to um, to see to it that uh, those entrusted to her or his care are. Able to be baptized, able to be confirmed, uh, supported with pastoral ministry by uh, ordaining deacons and presbyters and pastors to serve in in our congregations. Uh, the The bishop's role is also one in the uh, in the ordination instruction. It says that the bishop is to guard and defend the doctrine and discipline of the church, and so it's a bishop's role to to make sure that. Um, that the faith is, is uh, taught, uh, that there's a sense of sharing uh, with the, the local congregation, uh, congregations entrusted to her or his care, uh, those things that are uh, decided upon by uh, the wider church mm-hmm. in this instance, which is usually in our polity called the General Convention. Mm-hmm. The General Convention meets every three years. It's made up of the House of Bishops, and the oldest house is the House of Deputies, and uh, it is the policy making decision body for the episcopal Church and I have a role as a member of the House of Bishops to be a part of that process mm-hmm. as well uh, also included in uh, a bishop's role is the responsibility of of visiting each of the faith communities or mm-hmm. congregations or parishes mm-hmm. entrusted to their care and and so I do. I do visitations on a regular basis, uh, Sunday after Sunday, uh, and I uh, visit with those who are entrusted with the ministry of uh, priests and deacons mm-hmm. in those congregations, and I also visit with those elected to positions of leadership as lay leaders, mm-hmm. uh, our wardens and vestry, um, getting a sense of what's going on, what are the challenges, what are the things that um, that you've taken on that have been really effective in terms of outreach. Or faith formation and education, or pastoral care, or stewardship. Um, I've been present when um, I've been invited to come when uh, a congregation has burned their mortgage because they they um, have paid off a mortgage to to build an uh, an addition onto the congregation. So those are all of the things uh, uh, that are part of the life of a bishop in the Episcopal Church.
2: Thank you. Uh, you were just in Canterbury for a conference, or T- kind of talking about these kind of ideas, right? Am I?
3: Yes. the the, uh, the The cathedral, uh, Canterbury Cathedral, about um, fifteen years ago, began what they called the bishops' course, and it's an invitation to persons newly ordained as bishops to come and gather uh, for about a eleven day period in February, and I just uh, concluded and got back a uh, uh, late Wednesday night from uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, I was, was with 28 other bishops from across the Anglican Communion. Um, that, that term may be unfamiliar to some, some of your listeners. The, the Anglican Communion is comprised of 39 independent autonomous provinces uh, that uh, make up the Anglican mm-hmm. Communion. So so the Episcopal Church is a province. The Anglican Church in Canada is a province. Uh, the Anglican Church in uh, Australia is a province. The Church of England mm-hmm. is a province. So there are 39 of those provinces mm-hmm. throughout the world that make up what we call the Anglican mm-hmm. Communion. And the sort of... Uh, Uh, one of the instruments of that unity is the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm -hmm. Another is the Lambeth Conference, which is an every 10-year gathering of bishops from throughout the communion. Another is the Anglican Consultative Council, which is uh, a body that has a constitution and bylaws uh, represented by bishops, priests, and laypersons from each of the 39 provinces. And, And then the... Uh, primates or presiding bishops, archbishops gathering with the, the Archbishop of Canterbury. So uh, I gathered with uh, 28 other bishops representing 17 countries, and we spent, uh, we spent our days in Bible study uh, and then reflecting on uh, the bishop's role uh, as it's incarnated or uh, sort of manifest in various aspects of life in the Anglican Communion. So for example, um, some of my colleagues uh, came, to be, elect, came to, be, uh, to be serving as bishops because they were appointed as a bishop. In my process, in the Episcopal Church, we elect people to, to serve as bishops. So, so it's a process that it, it includes uh, both lay and ordained people electing uh, a candidate to serve as a diocesan bishop. In other provinces in the Anglican Communion, uh, the, the archbishop might tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, Nolan, uh, have you, uh, would you like to serve as an assistant bishop in this diocese? And then there's a, there's a vetting process that goes on. But the persons who are chosen are chosen by virtue of the archbishop's <laughs> selection and not an election process. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of how a bishop's ministry is manifest in very diverse ways in one diocese compared to another diocese. One of the other uh, sort of foundation pieces is that, by and large, every bishop is uh, entrusted with care for a particular geographical area, which we call the diocese. Uh, we talked about theological education uh, throughout the Anglican, Anglican community. We talked about um, and heard presentations on uh, missiology. And how how at at this particular time in the communion's life, uh, we we need to kind of recover uh, an understanding of mission that that is at the heart of of the Trinity, that that at the heart of the relationship between the father, the son and the spirit at the heart of that relationship is a sense of sending rather than seeing the church as having a mission, recovering and understanding that it's God's mission that we are participating in. So whether that be um, uh, a ministry in North America or a ministry in Central or South America or in, the, in Sub-Saharan Africa, um, it's God's mission that we are participating in rather than the church's mission Um, um, Leslie Newbigin, for example, is a a well-known theologian, um, who's written extensively on a kind of reclaiming the sense of, of missiology that that mission is at the heart of God's uh, understanding, our, our understanding of who God is rather than our having a mission that God somehow participates in. Uh, we talked a bit about, uh, what it means to, uh, uh, assist in the formation of persons for ministry and how that varies from one location to another. Um, we had a chance to visit with the Archbishop of Canterbury and uh, had about a 30-minute conversation uh, with him about his perspectives on the state of the Anglican communion. Um, so it was a, it was a, a wonderful opportunity. My, my table of bishops uh, was comprised of a bishop uh, Marines, who is the first uh, female bishop uh, in South America in the Anglican Communion, from the Diocese of Amazonia in the Episcopal Church in Brazil. Uh, bishop Augustine, who is from the Diocese of Kobe in Japan. Bishop Same, who's from uh, the Diocese a Diocese in uh, in the Church in Madagascar. Um, bishop James, who's from Vanuatu in the Solomon Islands. And and Bishop Fernando, who's a bishop from Sri Lanka. So there were six of us representing all of those countries at my Bible study. And it it was a fascinating and wonderful opportunity to come to learn more uh, as I listened to their experiences and contacts as well.
2: I went to Canterbury um, last May, right before I was confirmed, and I didn't get to do anything near that cool. I didn't even get to go to Evening Song, which I was really disappointed about because I had to catch the bus back.
3: But it, it was well, beautiful. Had, we, we had the privilege in our schedule. Uh, we we uh, did morning prayer at 7.30, Eucharist at 8 mm-hmm. o'clock, um, breakfast at 8.30, and then our day was full on from 9.15. Uh, we ended each day with choral evensong mm. at 5:30, mm. and then uh, dinner. And I, I was just so grateful for the privilege of being able to to sort of um, uh, spend spend some time just uh, coming to appreciate the rhythm of daily prayer mm-hmm. that a, a place like the Canterbury Cathedral mm. offers to to the wider church. Uh, we, you know, we we. We have have challenges in terms of resources, but to be able to daily sort of uh, become part of the rhythm of their prayer Mm -hmm. and to benefit from just the good work and the the many gifts from from readers to choral singers. um, uh, It it was just an enormous Mm -hmm. blessing. It was a a great opportunity uh, to take advantage of.
2: My um, confirmation sponsors, her son and grandson are in the choral ensemble at Gloucester, or uh, not Gloucester Cathedral, at Canterbury Cathedral, so I didn't get to meet them, (laughs) Uh, but you probably heard them sing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Uh, so I was wondering if you would be willing to share a little bit about your own um, spiritual journey, and what led you to becoming uh, the Bishop of Northern Indiana? Sure. Um, Well,
3: I, I I was born... Uh, and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I have a twin sister. Uh, my mother and my father had both been married before. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of my parents uh, converted. Uh, both both of my parents were raised in the Baptist tradition, mm-hmm. and they had been married before and had uh, uh, converted to Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, My sister and I, when we were four years of age, my sister and I uh, found ourselves uh, faced with the fact that that our dad, uh, at the ripe age of 49 um, or 44, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So he was hospitalized and then uh, placed in a nursing care facility uh, for the the next 10 years and then died when we were 14 years of age in 1970. And my mom... uh, was committed to, to sort of, uh, helping us to be formed in the faith. So, uh, we went to, uh, Roman Catholic grade school. I, we were baptized and, and went to Roman Catholic grade school. I, I had a sense of vocation all of my life from, from second grade on, I had a, a sense of feeling called to offer my life in ministry. I, I had, uh, Come to know the story of Saint Vincent de Paul, who was a French missionary um, in the uh, in the early 1600s, and I saw a movie about his life that just um, compelled me to say, "I'd like to live my life like he did," and uh, and so uh, I I then graduated from grade school, and I went to a high school seminary for uh, the, the Congregation of the Mission, or the Vincentian Fathers and Brothers, went to their novitiate, and uh, went to their college seminary, um, and and then after some twists and turns in my own faith, faith uh, life, ended up being ordained uh, in the Roman Catholic Church as a priest, mm-hmm. uh, served for a few years uh, in the Roman Church, but had had lived with a, a degree of how, how, what's the best way to put this? I, I live with a degree of feeling both a sense of uh, call, but also struggled with uh, how, de- how decisions mm-hmm. were made in the Roman church mm-hmm. and uh, ha- really, really came to understand myself as a, a product of, of, of democracy mm-hmm. th- that, that, that I needed to find a place where Mm -hmm. the voices of of all persons could Mm -hmm. be valued and heard. And, and uh, so after a period of discernment, I decided to leave active ministry in the Roman Mm -hmm. church. Uh, I went, uh, I went to a seminary in Evanston, Illinois Mm -hmm. called uh, Seabury Western Theological Seminary run by the Episcopal church. And after a year long study and ordination exams, Was received as a priest in the Episcopal Church, uh, served in Episcopal congregations in Illinois, Wisconsin. Uh, I had the privilege of serving as the dean of the cathedral in uh, the Anglican Church in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and Polynesia, uh, as the dean of Wellington, and then uh, served um, uh, in the Diocese of Minnesota. For 12 years, and uh, then while serving in the Diocese of Minnesota, was elected to serve as bishop here in the Diocese of Northern Indiana. So uh, my faith journey uh, kind of led me from uh, being formed, and and I have to say, Nolan, um, while there are a lot of challenges that uh, the Roman Catholic Church is facing, uh, that and that, that need to be faced uh, directly with respect mm-hmm. to um, child sexual abuse mm-hmm. and the abuse of uh, vulnerable people. Um, I also owe an enormous amount of my own formation to wonderful people who uh, formed me as a Christian and as a as a theologian. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I owe a lot because, because they, they taught me well, mm-hmm. um, and there's something to be, to be honored in that mm-hmm. tradition. Um, and so I I bring that tradition with me to the Episcopal mm-hmm. Church, um, and as you well well know, the Episcopal Church is, has a broad expression of of church style and Which leadership.
2: Probably one of the reasons I can almost make it work as brethren and Anglican. And and so you know we have a
3: we have a a, a, a steep tradition mm-hmm. in, in Anglo-Catholicism. Mm-hmm. We have a, a very a wide and and de- deep uh, expression of. Of the Episcopal Church and Anglicanism in the Evangelical mm-hmm. tradition, uh, and then we also have uh, what I, what many of us come, come to understand is, is kind of the broad church mm-hmm. experience. Uh, so all of those expressions within uh, fi- find a home within mm-hmm. uh, Anglicanism, and uh, you can you can experience those same kinds of ex- mm-hmm. uh, uh, traditions within the context of the Episcopal Church in many dioceses mm-hmm. in the Episcopal Church here as well.
2: Was, was it hard to leave uh, the Roman Catholic Church to come to the Episcopal Church? I, I had a conversation last night with um, a Catholic student group um, where I was the only Anglican in the room. And uh, so they were talking about um, John Henry Newman mm. being— um, for canonization mm-hmm. and so they started having a conversation about the validity of anglicanism <laughs> and i that was <laughs> decided not to go down that route but yeah uh, yeah you know so, so i mean
3: i uh, as with as with every person and mm-hmm. in, in, in the experience of, mm-hmm. of traditions um New, newman is a a controversial mm-hmm. controversial figure there's no question about that mm-hmm. so depending upon kind of where you stand mm-hmm. uh I think depends upon how you understand or see mm-hmm. him. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, yes, it was, it was a diff, it was, it was a difficult decision to make.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I also have to say that for me, the, and, and, and for, for my wife, mm-hmm. who, who was not Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. but, but we, we have dear friends who are, are members of the Roman Catholic mm-hmm. church for us. it it was the severing of relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that was the hardest part Mm -hmm. that, that there are people that I, I have, I've loved and cared for, Mm -hmm. uh, for a significant period Mm -hmm. in my life. And to have those relationships severed Mm -hmm. was, was painful. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it was a painful experience for, for me and for my family. Um, and it, it, uh, I have to say, Dana and I, my wife and I uh, maintained a commitment to being in relationship throughout the, the difficulties mm-hmm. of coming to to sort of understand mm-hmm. our decision about moving in a different direction mm-hmm. um, and understanding that that uh, we we honor their decision mm-hmm. to remain uh, mm-hmm. and also wanted to say, uh, uh we, we would hope that you would honor our decision yeah. to move for our own mm-hmm. sense of spiritual health and mm-hmm. well-being. So the the most difficult part of that was the this, this sort of ending of some important relationships mm-hmm. and not knowing kind of what ground we stand on mm-hmm. any longer because of those decisions.
2: So I know um, well from personal experience that the Episcopal Church has like summer camps at Camp Alexander Mack, mm-hmm. which I grew up with going there through the Brethren camp since it's affiliated with the Church of the Brethren. I can start listing the various ways I'm connected to camp through family, but that'll take forever and <laughs> it's kind of scary. Uh, but so I like I know remember when I was in youth camp at the Brethren camp, the Episcopal youth camp was there at the same time and we used to have competitions against each other and a joint campfire. Um, I don't think that happens anymore, but I know some of the other camps uh, still do. Uh, so I, I guess I'm bringing this up as we um, how do you see, I guess, um, how, say, the Brethren branch and the Episcopal branch and other branches of the Jesus movement can learn from each other and work at um, following our commitment to Christ in whatever place we are. Sure. Well,
3: you know, Nolan, this may you you may have heard about this um, in in 1866 and then and then confirmed in 1867. Um the House of Bishops of the Episcopal Church gathered in Chicago mm-hmm. and uh, put together um, what came to be known initially as the Chicago mm-hmm. Quadrilateral. And and then in 1867, it was adopted by the, the mm-hmm. first Lambeth Conference and then came to be known as the Chicago Lambeth Quadrilateral. And the Episcopal Church's House of Bishops in the 1860s made a commitment to say, we want to explore every way possible for us to work toward Christian unity mm-hmm. and the Chicago Lambeth quadrilateral has four component parts that they identified mm-hmm. as the sort of grounds upon which we could explore Christian unity mm-hmm. with at that point in time. Oh, many of us were, many of us referred to each other as our separated brethren mm-hmm. and and so the first, the the first of the four was um a commitment to the the scriptures, mm-hmm. uh as the, the, the Hebrew scriptures mm-hmm. and the Christian scriptures, that mm-hmm. that having a scriptural basis was a foundation point. The second was the creeds. Um and uh, whether that, that be the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene mm-hmm. Creed or the Athanasian Creed, that that we believed another focus of our unity would mm-hmm. be to say we can be in relationship with our sisters and brothers who affirm the same creeds that mm-hmm. we affirm. The third component was um, understanding that baptism and the Eucharist were the fundamental. Uh, sacramental experiences as revealed in the Christian scriptures. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth was uh, we would be willing to explore the possibility of Christian unity with those churches that had uh, some kind of historic episcopate mm-hmm. um, that that was adapted um, contextually uh, and then uh, then when we got, when the church got to the Lambeth Conference, uh, we started talking about apostolic succession mm-hmm. rather than the historic episcopate. Mm-hmm. But those four components mm-hmm. form the kind of basis yeah. upon which we're now engaged mm-hmm. in conversations with a number mm-hmm. of our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. As you probably know, uh, the Episcopal Church is in full communion with the Evangelical Lutheran Church mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that occurred in 2000. We're also in full communion with the Moravian provinces, uh, the nor- northern and southern provinces here in the United States, based on those four mm-hmm. principles. And I believe that uh, there remains work for us to do with our other brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. Um, we're now in a conversation with uh, exploring a full communion relationship with the United Methodist Church mm-hmm. based on the same principles mm-hmm. that were uh, Enshrined in the Chicago Lambeth Quadrilateral. Mm-hmm. And that's also, I think, a basis of conversation with the Church of the Brethren. Mm-hmm. It can be a conversation with other traditions within the Christian mm-hmm. faith.
2: The Episcopal Church got a lot of attention last May when uh, the presiding bishop preached at the royal wedding. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember um, when I was at um, Eucharist the next Sunday, uh, a lot of the people at St. Mary's Parish where I was worshiping were asking me, like, is that how all American sermons are? Are they all like that? So that was that (laughs) caught a lot of headlines. So I was wondering um, how has the way of love that he preached about uh, how do we work to manifest that in the church? And what more can we do? Sure. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, there's, there's no question uh,
3: that our presenting (laughs) Bishop Michael Curry um, has, has just um, an enormous gift for uh, the ministry of preaching. Um, He, he is a compelling Witness by way of his the, the mastery he has over scripture, mm-hmm. over hymnody that mm-hmm. he can weave in. Um, I I I believe that, that our presiding bishop Michael Curry uh, was was the right person mm-hmm. to be elected by the Episcopal Church to serve in this important uh, position mm-hmm. of leadership, and he has enormous gifts for for the church at this time. Uh, he's He's also called us to, um, as Episcopalians, Mm -hmm. on the Episcopal branch Mm -hmm. of the Jesus movement, to look at three areas that require continuing attention. The Mm -hmm. first is evangelism. That is, how are we presenting Jesus Christ in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way that we sort of uh, manifest by our own living. How are we we presenting Jesus in such a way that others may come to know him as savior and follow him as Lord in the fellowship of the Mm -hmm. church. So evangelism is at the heart of what we do. The second area that he's called us to is to consider seriously the reality of racial injustice and the need for racial reconciliation and racial healing in our nation, yeah. and um, I, I think you know, living living here in Indiana, mm-hmm. for example, um, and you're you're only uh, here at the university, you're only a few miles from uh, Marion, Indiana, which is the site yeah. the site of the last two known lynchings in this state in August of eighteen of, of nineteen thirty. That's not that long ago, mm-hmm. and and so we, as Christians in the Episcopal Church, believe it's important for us to begin the hard work of working toward racial reconciliation and racial healing. And then the third area is, what does it mean for us to be stewards of God's creation? That, that we, we need to take mm-hmm. seriously our role as uh, carers of the creation that God has entrusted mm-hmm. to us. Um, that, that finds its, its, its sort of nexus, if you will, in the Genesis account, mm-hmm. God, God says that this: this creation and all of it, all that's in it, is entrusted to our care. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Presiding Bishop Michael Curry mm-hmm. encouraged us to begin adopting particular practices that he's called the Way of Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, those practices could, could be turning, t- t- turning. W- w- what part of our life is engaged in metanoia, our conversion? Mm-hmm. What part of our life is involved in worshiping or in blessing Mm -hmm. or in resting or in studying or Mm -hmm. in praying? So he's encouraged us to uh, take on those practices which lead us more and more to Jesus, lead us to more and more to to live our lives after the manner of Jesus, Mm -hmm. who was an evangelizer, who was a healer and reconciler who was uh, uh, sort of the, the most visible man- manifestation of God's love to the world. So, uh, you know, th- those are opportunities, I think, that we as Christians in the Episcopal branch mm-hmm. of the Jesus Movement uh, are invited to mm-hmm. consider taking on. and. As you probably, as you may well remember, mm-hmm. uh, when I was at Saint David's, mm-hmm. I, I, I passed out. The, yeah, uh, I have the, the trifold that talks about the way of love and those particular practices that we're called to embrace.
2: Yeah, I have it right here. Actually, okay, there you are. It's in my so book of common prayer. It's
3: in your book of common <laughs> prayer. And, and yeah. again, going back to your first question, part of my responsibility as being called to serve as the bishop mm-hmm. of this diocese is to share mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of resources. Mm-hmm. And in, in every way possible in my preaching and leadership to say, uh, how can we embrace the way of love uh, mm-hmm. that Jesus manifests and calls us to?
2: And I think my last question, as I think we're rounding to the end of this um, talk, um, when I met you for the first time when you were visiting St. David's, uh, which is my where I found my Episcopal home, um, back in my hometown, Melkart. Um, You actually started your sermon by singing and playing guitar. Yeah. And I remember that really vividly because I am a big music person, (laughs) like um, as most of my family will let you know about my random bursting into song. So I I just was wondering if you uh, would want to talk about how music plays a role in your faith or in the church's life. Certainly. Yeah. So, um, I was a core, I was a chorister at
3: the mm-hmm. cathedral in St. Louis from about first grade on through early, my early part mm-hmm. of eighth grade, which meant that, um, during the school year, I went to choir rehearsal every Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon from two o'clock to four o'clock. And that I was at the cathedral on Sunday mornings, um, throughout the program here, mm-hmm. um, and for all of the major liturgical mm-hmm. celebrations, which included um, Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. uh, midnight service, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and that experience of being a chorister, mm-hmm. learning hymnody, learning uh, challenging choral pieces, uh, all of which are more often than not 95% connected mm-hmm. to the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that formed and fashioned me and And so, just as I said about presiding Bishop Michael mm-hmm. Curry, you know oftentimes in my preaching preparation i'll I'll ask myself, "Gosh, is there a hymn or a text that that is that this particular set of scriptures are?" are connected to that people who I'm going to be preaching to might be familiar with, or is there something I might want to introduce Mm -hmm. in terms of music that would catch their attention? Because music has formed me and fashioned me as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, I I've invited people to post their favorite Christmas carols during the Christmas season or share your favorite Easter hymns or other kinds of things because music is at the heart Uh, I believe, of also helping to form and fashion us as Christians. Very few uh, traditions within uh, the—very few denominations within the Christian faith aren't aren't known Mm -hmm. for the the gift of their Mm hymnody and music. And and it's it's formed and fashioned me as part Mm -hmm. of my own life as a Christian, as a
2: disciple of Jesus. Thank you. Um, Is there anything else that you want to talk about or that you'd like to ask me about before we— Finish up, I? No, uh, no, and thank you for the opportunity. I,
3: I hope and pray that uh, our, our conversation um, might be an insightful one uh, for people who may be listening to mm-hmm. the podcast. And if they have any other questions, mm-hmm. they can certainly uh, uh, touch base with you, mm-hmm. and you can get in touch mm-hmm. with me yep. if you need to um, or, or give them my contact information. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you for coming. You're welcome. Um, Do you want to say a blessing or something before we Shall we pray?
3: Yeah. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of this day and all of the days entrusted to us. We praise you for those who uh, will listen to this podcast, have listened to this podcast. We praise you for Nolan and his uh, ministry of sharing faith and story. We thank you for all of those persons whose lives are closely linked with ours continue to deepen our lives as faithful witnesses of Jesus the risen Christ uh, the savior the the one sent to heal and reconcile us for we pray in his name and as always in the power of the Holy Spirit now and forever amen
0: What a journey Bishop Doug has traveled in order to follow his call. Raised by Baptist parents, ordained as the Catholic priest, and now a bishop in the Episcopal Church, I especially appreciated the ways that Bishop Doug talked about the pain of leaving one church to be a part of another, the real hurt that happens when relationships get severed. He spoke so tenderly about all those people that he wasn't in communion or community with anymore. it made me think again about all those church divisions over the centuries, all the times when individuals or groups of people divided and distanced themselves from one another for reasons that were sometimes regrettable and sometimes really valid. Sometimes division is the most grace-filled option, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't still hurt. Bishop Doug named St. Vincent de Paul as one of his inspirations. Did you catch that? Saint Vincent de Paul was a French priest who dedicated himself and his life to serving the poor. He was known for his compassion and humility and generosity. And here's a little bit of wisdom from Saint Vincent's life worthy of imitation. He said, Make it a practice to judge persons and things in the most favorable light at all times and under all circumstances. That feels like good advice, especially as we think about differences and divisions in the church, the church at large, and our own church. Thanks to Nolan for reminding us about the beauty and the gift we can find in boundary crossing and tradition blending. The Dunker Punks podcast is created by a host of folks who are committed to following in the expansive, liberating, boundary-crossing ways of Jesus. We'd love to have you join us. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org or find us on social media. Today's episode was created by Nolan McBride and edited by Jacob Krauss. I'm Dana Cassell, one of your hosts. Suzanne Lay is our executive producer and the Arlington Church of the Brethren creates and nurtures this entire project in so many ways. Until next time, dunker punks.